Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. Merry Christmas, everyone. Who's excited? Show of hands, who's already got every single present wrapped and under the tree? Any, anybody? All right, all the type A people in the church. Now, what are my type B, B people that wait for Christmas Eve to wrap all their presents? Yes, so oh, come on, the majority. You know, they say that leaders attract who they are. Type B people, come on. You, you, guys, you guys are just like my wife and I. We wait for Christmas Eve. We lock the doors and all the kids are like, hey, you guys stay in there because uh, here's Santa's coming, right? So we just like wrap all the presents and some of them, like you could tell which ones we did first and which ones we did last. Like when we start using tinfoil, you know that was like the last present we wrapped. Uh, man, I, I've missed you guys. I've been gone for some time. I, uh, so, someone said, Pastor, I heard you were in Mexico. I thought you were going to come back with a tan. My response was, listen, uh, I spent part of it in the sun and then part of it in a hospital bed. And, uh, I actually went to Mexico to get some work done. Just kidding. That's not how it happened. I, I, I had plans to go to Mexico. The Bible says that, that men make their plans, but the Lord orders their steps. Uh, this was not the steps that I would have ordered, but hey, it's all right. Uh, I went to Mexico for a missions convention. My wife and I get to go every four years. We go to Mexico and we get to meet with all of these different missionaries and they tell us all these incredible works that they're doing around the world. Met with a a missionary. He's working among the Israeli people, the Bedouin people out in the wilderness and how he has 54,000 people show up uh, or 54,000 kids show up for a VBS every year and these children are just getting saved left and right. I mean, there is a great work happening out in the wilderness of Israel, like just beautiful stuff and met with some guy in Saudi Arabia and met some, some missionaries in Mexico. Just a beautiful time for us to enjoy what the Lord Lord is doing and really see the, the fruit of, of, of what we contribute to when we give to missions. And I uh, met with some people from Convoy of Hope and was able to deliver to them that, that $10,000 offering that we took up to, to feed children all around the world. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful. So, so I go to this Mexico trip, and, and, and while I'm there, um, I, I start feeling just some crazy pain, and, and I, felt, I felt like maybe it was just the tacos I was eating, because like, homie, I was throwing down tacos, like left and right, like everywhere we were going, there's a little carnicería right in the corner, and we just like stop. Kate's like, hey, you, you, you should probably stop. I'm like, Kate, it's just a snack. I walk out with like three tacos every single, every single chance I get. There's a churro stand. I was going there every single night, and I just, I, I like was doing, I was doing really good before I went to Mexico, and I was like intermittent fasting, eating healthy, eating right, and then I go to Mexico, and I was like, Katie, I'm home. Like, I, I, got, I got to eat, girl. I got to eat. So I'm just, like, eating all this stuff. And uh, by, by the third night we were there, I started feeling just some, some bad pains. And um, I thought it was just indigestion. So I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop eating, like, at 7, right? Like, I'm just going to change things. Pain started increasingly getting worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where I was like, Katie, I think I'm going to die. Like, this is it. Uh, you know, make sure you got the will done. Get, here's my thumbprint. Like, I'll seal that. And, and she's like, no, we're calling a doctor. The doctor came, and uh, they, they took they rushed me to the hospital. They, they did an ultrasound, and they, the doctor came to me, and I said, doctor, is it a boy or a girl? And he's like, you've got triplets. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's, he said, you have three major gallstones in your gallbladder. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with biology, but uh, your gallbladder is about 3.47 inches, something like that, 3.7 inches uh, in length. It's not a large organ. I had within my uh, gallbladder a, uh, three gallstones. One was half an inch, and, and two of them were quarters of an inch. Um, so, I mean, it was, there was not much room in there. And um, it was, I was, like, pregnant with gallstones. So, 
I asked the doctor, doctor, what are my options? Uh, How long is this labor? And he's like, stop it with the jokes. They're not that funny. Uh, And I was like, I'm just trying to get my mind off of this pain. And he said, he said, uh, we have to remove the organ. We have to take out the gallbladder. And I said, okay, uh, how do I book my flight back to the United States? And he said, you can't. Uh, if you got on a plane, something could rupture and it can get even worse and you'd be in really, really like major pain. And uh, I said, well, I'm at a nine now, so I guess let's not risk it. Uh, he said, come back, or you're going to stay here overnight. And I was like, in a Mexican hospital? He said, yes. Uh, I was like, I just can't go to the, back to the hotel and then come back in the morning. He said, no, you're, you're going to, you need to stay here. So we stood the night, we stayed the night, and uh, at, at, at noon the next day, they did an emergency operation, removed the gallbladder. It was a crazy, crazy ordeal. Uh, I, I now get the opportunity to say that um, I lost some weight in Mexico. And I also get to forever say that the United States will forever have my heart, but Mexico will always have my gallbladder. <laughs> so I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys. I missed, missed you guys. I'm giving you all air hug because I missed you. Glad to be back. Oh, man, I miss MWC. Uh, the, the elder board came to me and said, Pastor, you are not going on any more missions trips. Every time you go, something happens. You get stung by stingrays. You get, you get like the, the flu, and now you got your gallbladder removed. Like, we don't know if you're coming back next time. Please just stop. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll pray about it. But hey, welcome to the service. Welcome to the series. We're, we're wrapping up the Christmas mixtape. I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, we've, been, we've been calling it the Christmas mixtape. Some people ask me, why do we call it this? Is this, uh, this going to be an opportunity for for the, the staff to sing some of their favorite Christmas songs. And I, and I replied to that person, you don't want to see that happen. Uh, our church would, would like dwindle to half the size that it is if that ever happened. Uh, the only person on staff that should ever be given a mic is Bethany. I, I, I have no qualms with that unless we're doing karaoke, in which case I should take the mic. But... Uh, even, even Jacob and Lisa came up to me and said, hey, um, Jacob, our marketing director, Lisa, is, is Justin, our executive pastor's wife. Uh, she, they, they were like, hey, could we do a duet of Mary, Did You Know? And I said, absolutely no. <laughs> like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, Mary didn't know. She didn't want to know that. So we're never doing that, okay? Uh, but we call it the Christmas Mixtape because this is an opportunity for everybody to have seen a collaborative, a compilation of every pastor on staff give their message of, of Christmas, what the Lord is speaking to them. And it's been pretty great. I think I think every single past, uh, pastor has done an incredible job. Pastor Kenny preached on peace, did a phenomenal job. Pastor Justin preached uh, the Magnificat, the, the Magnificent Song of Mary. And then Brooke and Bethany, B&B, the, the, the duo there, they did a great job talking about Mary and Martha. And today, I have an opportunity to give the final track on our Christmas mixtape. And it's the story. It comes, it's a song that actually comes from a, an artist known as Easy Z. He's a, he's a hip-hop rap artist. You may have known him. Maybe uh, he's, he was the uncle of Jesus. I'm talking about Zechariah. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to read the story about a man of the, by the name of Zechariah. He was a priest. We're going to give some context. How many of you know songs mean more when you know the reason for the artist's uh, writing them? Right? When you, when you go back and you look at the Beatles, any Beatles fans in the place? That's okay, just me, two of us. Uh, okay, they're the little kids. Yes, the young ones. Thank you. You guys have good parents. Um, the, yeah, there is a song called Help, right? And, and, and it sounds like just a rock and roll song. It's faster paced. But when you come to realize that, that the Beatles, specifically John and Paul, John, John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote that song at the climax of fame, right? They, they rose to fame very quickly. I mean, they went from being these uh, anonymous individuals to, to now becoming like sensations around the world. They, 
they couldn't even go to a store without being chased down and mobbed and just like crazy, like girls were just running after them. And after a while, they were like, uh, man, we miss those days where we could be anonymous. So they penned the song, Help. And, and, and now when you understand that in the context, you get to realize the song has way more meaning. Well, I'm convinced that when we look at scripture and we look at the song that, that Uncle Z, Zechariah, Jesus' uncle, had penned in Luke chapter 1, when we understand the reason why he wrote it and what led him to, to kind of sing that song, it means so much more. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says here, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Everybody say, Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So who, who was Zechariah? I mean, we, we see in this text that he was a priest. He came from a priestly order. He uh, was married to a woman who was a descendant of Aaron. And if you knew the context, you would understand that Aaron was like the, the priest of priests. He was an incredible priest. So here we have a couple, a dynamic duo, who both trace their lineage back to the priesthood. I mean, if you were, if you were raised in ancient Near Eastern culture, if you were raised in, in, in Israel at this time, you would have understood that the priests were an order of people who had always been set out to do the work in the temple. It wasn't just anybody who would say, you know what, I feel a call to be a priest. They, they didn't have that. There was no calling to be a priest. Your calling was, were you born in the right family tree? So here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, two individuals who are descendants of priests. Zechariah has an opportunity to go and minister before the Lord in the temple and we see if there is anybody who can stand and rest on the laurels of their resume, anybody who can stand and sit back and say, look what, what I've accomplished, look what, I, look, look what I'm worthy of, it would have been Zechariah and Elizabeth. And why is this contextually important? It's important to understand something. See, they were very superstitious back in this time period. They believed that the more good you did, kind of like how we are today in America, the more good that you do, the more good things would follow, right? Maybe you've heard karma. It's a, even though it stems from an Eastern tradition, it's very much been adopted in a Western worldview where many people are like, you know, maybe we say we reap what we sow and, and you tell yourself, if I do good things and good things will follow, if I do bad things and then bad things will follow. Uh, if, if, I, if I'm close to God, then blessings will come my way and if I'm not with God, then, then there must be something wrong. So is, uh, Luke is trying to set up an argument saying, here we have two people who have done everything right incredible priests, incredible lineage. They've, they've done everything they could have done right. They were blameless. Literally, the scripture says both of them were righteous in the eyes of God, blameless in his sight, good people. But look what it says in Luke chapter one, verse seven. The next verse exactly says this. But in addendum, in contrast to the statement that was just read, Luke says this, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Luke is trying to convey something. Here we have two people who are deserving of everything good. They've done everything right in their life and now there is conflict. There is a mishap. 
There's a misfire there. It's, it's not aligning logically to the, to the superstitions of the day. People would have been like, hey, if they're living right, then good things should be happening. Why then is she childless? Now, you may be saying to yourself, boy, sometimes I wish I was childless. Like, let's be honest. These kids, sometimes they're more headache than help. But if you understand the context, the culture, you see, children were everything. Israel, the Israeli people, the Jewish people were a very, very historical group of people. They could trace back their, their, their lineage, generations. And to have had to have say on your deathbed that there is nobody else to carry my name would have been a dagger to the heart. In fact, if you were a good Jew, you would understand this question. If this question was asked, what was the first command of God? The first command of God was to Adam and Eve in the garden. And it said, go, be fruitful, and multiply. Literally, the the first command that God ever gives humanity is to reproduce, populate the earth. And if you can't do that, it, it almost feels like you are half a person. You begin to question, God, why, why do I even exist if I can't even do what I was primarily created for? And you see, the Jews also did stuff. They, 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 they believed this idea that if, if bad things were happening to you, then you must be doing bad things. So people were looking at Elizabeth and Zechariah saying, I wonder what sin they're secretly living in if they can't have children. I wonder what's really happening when no one else is watching. Right, they, they, they go to the temple and they look like great worshipers and priests and Elizabeth. She, she has a great lineage and they're blessed in every single way. They're, they're, they're Jewish royalty because they're among the priesthood. And yet, what, what's really going on? And I believe Luke is trying to contrast something. And I believe the Lord is trying to speak to us that, that sometimes good things happen to good people. And sometimes good things happen to bad people, quote unquote. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes bad things happen to bad people. That, that the Bible specifically teaches us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. It says this, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. In fact, Jesus says in John 16, he says this, here on earth, literally, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Many trials and sorrows. But then he ends with this conclusion, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's saying this, victory does not equal the absence of pain. Victory actually equals the presence of God. He's saying, literally, so, so you can count on some things in this world. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you ever bought into this false ideology or philosophy that the moment you give your life to Jesus, that nothing bad will ever come, listen, you are setting yourself up for disaster. Jesus says, you can guarantee that trouble sometimes might come. And listen, I know it's Christmas, but the reality is that some of you are, are like, man, this doesn't feel like Christmas. Maybe you're walking through a season of life Maybe you feel like an Elizabeth and a Zechariah where you're just like, Lord, I'm doing everything right. I'm I'm trying my best. And why is everything falling apart? Friend, Jesus tells us that in this world we will have troubles. But take heart. Stand firm. Because he has overcome the world. 
You see that word overcome it, it, in, in, in the English language, it, it, it says present tense. But if you were to read this in the Greek, it literally means that I am overcoming the world. I have overcome the world and I will overcome the world. It is a continuational process. It doesn't just start and stop. It continues on for eternity. Jesus is forever victorious. And for anyone who has accepted Christ, you have also received a residual victory. It comes from being with Christ. So Victory is not the absence of pain. Victory equals the presence of God. You are victorious if you choose to stand in the presence of God. If you choose to bend your knee, give him some praise. If you choose to bend your knee and say, Jesus, I need you, that is where victory comes. And what's beautiful is that both Zechariah and Elizabeth understood that. They chose to remain blameless in the sight of God despite their disappointments. And I believe this Christmas, the Lord is trying to speak to some of us saying, are you willing to face disappointment and still remain faithful? To still remain blameless? Oh, that we would be a church that says, regardless of what circumstances we're facing, we are going to worship Jesus just the same. When things are going good, we're going to praise him. When things are not going so good, we're going to praise him. It doesn't matter what is happening around us because he holds everything in the palm of his hands. He is worthy of praise. So Luke is saying two things. He's saying this, Zechariah and Elizabeth, although living in unfortunate circumstances, still chose to live righteously in the sight of God. Secondly, he's saying this, that our ability to behave... He's he's destroying this philosophy, and he's saying this. Our ability to behave and blessings are not always tied together, right? Sometimes good things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. Uh, The reality is this. Sometimes God blesses us because he's just a great God, and sometimes it seems like we missed out on the blessings because life is just life, that the fact remains. We live in a world that is marred by sin, that things just happen, but God is still deserving of our praise. They were childless because Elizabeth was old and not able to conceive, and they were both very old. But the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. In Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 8, the next verse, it says this. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, you may just read right past this, but let me just clarify some things. In this time in Israel's history, there were approximately 20,000 priests. There was that many people who were of the lineage of the priesthood that were born into the right family, usually all descendants of Aaron. They were born in the right in the right family. So there was 20,000 priests, and they were broken up into 24 groups of approximately 1,000 priests. So 1,000 here, and there was 24 of them. And every single year, each group, each tribe, each division, rather, would be called to the temple to minister before the Lord two times a week. Or, I'm sorry, two, two, two weeks out of the year. So for two weeks, they would go and minister before the Lord. And every single day, these thousand priests were chosen randomly by lot. Uh, I don't know if they tossed dice, if they, you know, threw a chicken in the air and then wherever it landed. Like, I don't know what they did. Uh, It's not very clear. Scripture doesn't clarify what what happens. Or maybe they drew straws. Maybe they just threw a dart and whoever it hit, you're, you're selected. 
But they, they, they chose a lot. And the idea was that by random chance, God is the king of, of randomness, right? So, so God, God is the one, like he ordains everything. So if it's random, it's not truly random. God had, had, had orchestrated this way. So they were ascertaining the will of God. Uh, they, they chose lots and the lots randomly fell to Zechariah. Now, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is like, if you're a priest, this is like winning the lottery, right? Like, you get to go into the temple of God, into the holy place, where not anybody can go. Only one priest a day could go in there, and they would light incense, and incense would be symbolic of the prayers of the people of the nation of Israel going up before God. And not ascending, but just remaining in the presence of God. So twice a day, the priest would go in in the morning, early in the morning. The other priest would stand on the outside because only one was allowed to enter in. He would light the incense and the prayers would go up. And he would be the one who was responsible for carrying the prayers of the nation to the Lord. I mean, what a responsibility. And here we see Zechariah chosen, not just randomly, but because the Lord had an appointment set up with Zechariah. He calls him, the the lots fall to him, he goes into the temple, he offers up the incense, and here we see verse 10. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers, including the priest, were assembled outside. Only one person went in, it was Zechariah. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And the reason why Luke adds the word right side is because the right side usually speaks favor, right? The left side is judgment, the right side is favor, and here the angel is looking favorably upon Zechariah. And it says he was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The Bible continues on and says this, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, Easy Z, Uncle Z, whatever your rap name is now. He says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Let's just pause there for a second. Let's put ourselves in, in the place of Zechariah. You've been carrying this weight on your shoulders. Every single Christmas, your wish list is one thing. Oh, that God, you'd, you'd give us a child, that we would have a son, that we'd have a, a daughter. Give us, give us a child. We, we want to carry on our, our family tree. We, we're so desperate for a child. And here he's going in to, to plead before, or for, for on behalf of the nation, and, and yet he's also carrying with him his own prayer. And he brings up, God, if you would just give us a son, give us a daughter, give, give us a child. And here the angel says, the Lord has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can we just understand something really quickly? Notice that it was in the place of ministering to God that Zechariah heard from the Lord. 
So often we are carrying so many burdensome weights where we're just overloaded and, and you feel like it's your responsibility to carry these things. But notice that it wasn't until Zechariah chose to minister to the Lord in the place of prayer that he ever heard anything. Some of you are carrying weights that aren't intended for your shoulders. You're called to meet with God in the place of prayer and shift the weight from your shoulders onto his. That is his responsibility. You are, are waiting to hear from God. You're carrying burdens. You're broken. Maybe you feel like Elizabeth, and you're like, you may not uh, be barren with, without children, but you may have these dreams that aren't amounting to anything. Maybe you're, you're waiting for that significant other, you're, you're praying for that other job, and you're just like, you're hoping for these things, and you're, you're working tirelessly for these things, but God is saying, if you want to hear from me, come minister in my presence and spend time in the place of prayer. I will speak to you, which is why we do the Daniel fast, which is why we designate 21 days of January, the first things we do is pray and say, God, speak to us. We need you. We long for you. But notice that. Notice that it was while praying to God that the Lord spoke to Zechariah and answered him. And the Lord gave him a beautiful message. He said this, don't be afraid. Right? The, the Lord, through Gabriel, said, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. You will be given a, given, given a son. You will name him John. He will be set apart for me, and he will bring many people back to God and prepare the way for Jesus. Now, that lower half of that uh, the message the angel gave was actually word for word out of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And Zechariah was a good priest. He had memorized that book. He had memorized the prophet Zechariah, so he knew exactly whom the angel was talking about he was talking about the one who would come before the messiah the one who would prepare the way for king jesus and he is saying this uh, we don't understand now because we live in a in a culture and a time where uh thank the lord for freedom of speech we, we have that that privilege we're thankful for that but but whether you support uh your your, your leaders or not it, it's really it's up to you right but back in this time uh, you, you must support the king. You, you, must, you must celebrate the king. And whenever a king would come into a town, the people needed a forerunner to go and prepare the people to say, listen, the king is coming. Y'all better get ready. You know, sweep up these streets, clean up your homes, put on your, 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 your best because we have to celebrate the king is coming into our presence. And it would have been loathsome to have done that for a horrible king, but it would have been a great joy to have done that for an excellent incredible king. How much more is it to do that for King Jesus? So, so literally, Zechariah is just excited. He's, he's beaming. My, I'm going to have a son, but not only am I having a son, but my son will be the one that ushers the way for the Messiah to come, the king to come and restore Israel, to deliver us from our sins, to, to make us one people. God's rule is going to start, and my son is going to be the one that rolls the red carpet for him. Hot dog. That's what he said. I don't think he said that, but maybe he did, right? Actually, they wouldn't have ate hot dogs. So they said, they said uh, chicken. Right? I don't know what they said. <laughs> but Zechariah asked the angel, look what it says here. Right? He should have been taking notes. That's what it always bothers. Like, just take these notes down, homie. There's an angel. Like, you get excited. Like, take these notes down. But he says this. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is kind of old. Literally, he says this, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Just, it's, it's, uh, Jacob actually brought that up to me yesterday. He's like, notice that, uh, yep, the same rules applied back then that they do now, right? Your wife ain't old, she's just getting well advanced in years. Then <laughs> <laughs> the angel said to him, now, look at this, I am Gabriel, right? He says, I'm Zechariah, I'm old, my wife's 
getting not younger. The angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you good news. And now you will be silent. And you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come, come true at their appointed time. Now, I want to be clear here. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, on behalf of God, because angels don't do anything apart from what the Lord tells them. Uh, angels don't have dominion. They don't have authority. They don't have power that has not been leveraged to them by God. In fact, if you break down the word angel, literally angelos, and the Greek literally means a messenger. They have that, their own message, only the message of God. So this messenger Gabriel did everything according to the plan and the will of God. So what happened? Zechariah asked the question. Are there anything wrong with questions? No. Pastor Justin shared the story about Mary. She asked the question, how is this going to be possible? How will I be, uh, give birth to Jesus? I'm just a virgin, right? She asked questions too. But the difference here is that the question he asked is posed as a question, but really displays doubt. He's doubting. He's bringing up biology to the God of the universe, He's saying, hey, biologically speaking, uh, things dried up, right? Like, it's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to work out. He's bringing up his logic to the God who authored all things. And what, is, what, what, what was the angel uh, Gabriel's response? Ah, oh, you know what? The same God who created all things, the, the author of the universe who literally spoke everything into existence. I forgot his only kryptonite was old age. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know what, I, I'll come back tomorrow for another priest, right? Like, like, no, he wasn't upset with the question itself. He was, he was upset with the doubt. Listen, I believe sometimes God's is, God speaks to us certain things, and we bring up our insufficiencies, our inabilities, and God is like, do you know who I am? Which is literally why Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I have the authority here, trust me. When God speaks to you a promise, you better trust him. Don't start bringing up your resume and saying, God, uh, this is why I can't do it. Don't start bringing up your, your acumen and, and your aptitude and saying, God, I, I can't do this because so and so. The Lord is saying, listen, I will equip you. If I called you, I will equip you. And Zechariah needed to hear these words. Friends, we need to hear these words. If God calls us, he's going to equip us. Don't let fear and doubt keep you from accomplishing what he is doing. So what did Gabriel do? I, I think Gabriel is kind of like Doctor Who. He just like paused time. He hopped into the TARDIS, went back to heaven, and he, he started filing through, through the Lord's uh, uh, drawer, and he pulled out a universal remote, put some AAA batteries, went back to, to heaven, and he hit that big old mute button on Zechariah. He said, time for you to be quiet. Why? I don't, think that, I don't think that was a punishment. I think some of the times we read that, and just the way our minds are wired, we're, we're very uh, punishment-driven, and, and we think punishment comes. I think this was more of a blessing in disguise. He's saying, listen, you talk too much. It's time for you to be quiet and listen. You, you talk too much. It's time for a season of silence. You, you clearly, you're a priest, and yet you don't know that God is capable of all things. You call yourself a Christian, and you don't even know that God can do all things. It's time for a season of silence. So for nine months, Zechariah was, was silent before the Lord, not able to speak at all. All he could do was sit and listen. 
Now, commentators say that that was the, the healthiest Zechariah and Elizabeth's marriage ever was. Um, they say that they, they actually grew in those nine months. Uh, it was just a re- really great miracle. But listen, friends, I, I sometimes think that, that we have to understand that, that Zechariah was, was, was silenced, and we too must have those moments where we silence ourselves. We feel doubt arising up. Maybe for you it's this Christmas season, and you're, you're just like, well, Christmas is going to come, and I know that depression is going to come right back at the, in January 2nd. That as soon as the holidays are over, I'm, I'm going back to that depression. And the Lord is saying, listen, I don't want you to live in that depression. I don't want you to live in that anxiety. I, anxiety. I have much more in store for you. Trust me. Trust me. I will deliver you from this. So he silences him, saying, we can't talk and listen at the same time. That's why we do the Daniel fast again, to listen, to hear from him. And look what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time. So he goes through nine months of silence. Just quiet. Doesn't, can't even open up a word. The only way he can communicate is with this tablet or, or uh, the Stephen Hawking's computer, right? Like that's the only thing he has, nothing else. Can't communicate, but look what it says here. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. So nine months have passed from that ordeal. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Now, something interesting is that Elizabeth actually went into hiding for about five months. Um, she had her own moment of silence when, when John came back and he wrote to her the message and everything that had happened, and she probably was super excited. She's like, I'm going on a five-month vacation. So she, she packed her bags, and she just went and spent time in the presence of God, and now she returns, and now she's, she is pregnant, like clear as day, because how many of you know sometimes when you announce pregnancy too early, some people are going to be naysayers and say, oh, you probably shouldn't do this, but she had a dream in her, and she said, I'm going to announce this baby when I'm ready. So she came and like, listen, there is no doubting this. I think, I think she left for those five months to allow the Lord to confirm to her the dreams that he had given her. And sometimes there's people that we allow into our lives that when we begin announcing our dreams prematurely, they're already saying, oh, that's not gonna happen, and she wanted nothing to do with that. So she was gone for five months. That, there's another sermon right there, but I'm gonna keep going. But for five months, she was gone, and then she came back, and she was already, she was prego, like she was looking great, right? So she comes and she's like just waddling back to her house. She just takes a rest and everyone's excited. Like Elizabeth, look, the Lord is doing great things. Everyone's excited and joyous and they're celebrating her. On the eighth day, right? So she had the baby. She had the baby on the eighth day. They came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Listen, sometimes people are gonna wanna name your dreams. Ooh, that's a sermon there, but... They wanted to name him Zechariah, Zechariah Jr. It makes sense. It's logical. The crowd is trying to speak into the process and give de- uh, a democ- de- democratic order here. And they're like, listen, no, God had already spoken to me the name of this child. His name is to be John, right? But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. It makes no sense. This is your one and probably only child. Uh, John is old. You're getting well advanced in years. Like, like you're probably not going to have any more kids. And they didn't. You should probably name him Zechariah to honor the father. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be beautiful? And she's like, no, because you're thinking this from a human perspective, but I'm looking at it from a godly perspective. And God had already told me the name of this child and who he would become and that he is the one who would follow in the footsteps of Elijah and be the one that it will be a forerunner to the Messiah. His name is John. But then that wasn't enough for the crowd. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name him. 
So they're like, oh, obviously Zechariah, this guy knows. We're going to name him Zechariah Jr. So they give a tablet. They asked for, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened up because he wrote those words in faith, believing that what had happened was now coming to, to fruition. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Verse 68, it says this. 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy and to sing what we see here in verse 68, the, the greatest rap freestyle solo you have ever heard. Nine months in the making, just in the presence of God, just silent before the Lord. He, he's done talking and now nine months later, it's time to open up his mouth. He took a step of faith. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he begins prophesying this beautiful song in verse 68 and he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Listen to this. You think he would be celebrating the fact that God had given him a son, but look at nine months of being in the presence of God, of not being able to speak. Look how his focus had shifted. He thought that the greatest gift he could ever receive would have been a son, and yet God is saying through that son is a greater gift. Through that son that I am giving you comes a greater gift, and it is the son of God. It is Jesus, and he opens up his song, and it's all about Jesus. Look at this. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation, which horn would have been symbolic of strength, the strength of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he had said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And now he talks about John. He says this, and you, my child, holds John in his hand. He's praising the Lord, thanking him that mercy, salvation is coming to all people, holding his son in his hands, and he's looking up to God, and now he looks down to his son, and he says, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. These are words that can only be written from someone who had just spent time with God, who had thought that their true form of joy would come in that present that they coveted for, for, for months and years on end, and instead, it came to the form of what that son would become, the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, friend, this song, although it was sung 2,000 years ago, actually is still sung to this day. You know, you and I continue to sing that song because you and I were born in darkness. We didn't know. We weren't born with the knowledge of God. We were born in sin. We were born in darkness, every single one of us. The Bible is very clear. It says that, that there, there is none righteous, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that he sent his son to pull us out of darkness into eternal light.
Now, don't do the same thing that we saw the, the Jews doing in this time, where they correlated their condition of life to how they were standing before God. When things were good, then they must be doing things right before God. Listen, no. You may be standing here and things may be right, but if you know in your heart that you don't know Jesus, friend, can I just lovingly say this as your friend and as, as your pastor, that, that you're still living in darkness and you need the light of Christ. There is only one way to the Father and it is through Christ. Some take offense to that, saying that's very pretentious to say there is only one way. But you know what I try to say is this, that if if there were a thousand ways to the Father, we would be upset that there weren't two thousand ways. But the fact remains that there is one way, and God has displayed and told us that one way, and it's Jesus. And we need him. You need him. I need him. And we celebrate the fact that he came to us once in the form of a child, that he lived a life of sinlessness, that he too was blameless and righteous in the eyes of God, but he was perfect, never sinning. He upheld every act of the law. He was worthy to take upon the sins of the world, including yours. And we celebrate him on Christmas, but I I believe that the greatest way we can take advantage of that gift is to make him our Lord and Savior. To make that declaration, Jesus, will you light up my life? So can we just bow our heads and just prepare our hearts for what he's doing in this place? You see, Zechariah points to a beautiful story. This mixtape, this song reminds us of a few things. It begs a couple of questions. The first one is this. Have you been like Elizabeth and Zechariah, remaining blameless before God even during a time of disappointment? Or has your experience with disappointment developed in you a lack of trust and belief? I believe if, if you are the, the latter portion of that, that, that you have experiencing, if you've experienced disappointment and you've now just developed a lack of trust and belief, I believe the Lord would say to you this morning to return to him. Return to him. Have your own season of silence. Do the Daniel fast. Or maybe it hasn't been that way. He would say, continue to do the Daniel fast. He wants to say even more. Or like Zechariah, are you allowing the reality of your present circumstances to keep you from receiving the promise of God? Zechariah was quick to to list his inefficiencies and his inability, but in doing so, he lost sight of the ability of God. Oh, that we would be people that always, always remember what God is able to do, that he is the God of the impossible, that there is nothing too hard for our God. Friend, do you need to have a brief season of silence where you stop talking and start listening to the voice of God? In what ways do you need to change your tune? Remember, he went from silence and when he took that step of faith and said, no, his name is John, where he finally got his agenda on the agenda of God, God opened up his mouth and that opened up into a season of praise. 
Friend, you have the choice today to go from silence to singing. May we do it and focus on Jesus. Do you, like Zechariah, realize that the blessings of Christmas are not about what gifts we can get, but actually about the greatest gift God has ever given? It's Jesus. Let's just take a moment and ponder these things in our hearts. Jesus, we come to you, Lord, with great expectation, with anticipation, jubilant in the fact that you came to us. Lord, I pray that we too would would don the same responsibility of John the Baptist who understood that, that he was to be one that prepared a way for Jesus. In many ways, you call us to do the same in the places where we go. So, Father, I just pray today that you would continue to light up our lives, that you would continue to be the joy of our salvation, that the song Zechariah sings is not just a stanza that stood for one point in time, but it continues to echo into all of time, that you are the one who has delivered us from our enemies and the greatest enemy being sin that you had been victorious over it upon the cross and now we too are victorious because of you Jesus you are our joy you are the one who made a path in the wilderness you are the one who lights up the darkness in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen friends we're going to go ahead and conclude by symbolically displaying what it means to light up the darkness. Ushers, if you want to come forward, we're going to go ahead and and light up our candles together. I'm going to light mine, and from this one very light, we're going to spread it all as a symbol of how the light of Christ starts in one place, and it spreads to everyone. Let's go ahead and light this together. If you guys all want to share the same light. as you receive your light, just let that be a symbol of how you once were in darkness and how Christ has lit up your life. Every single one of us, there's nothing we can do to fabricate light. We need a source, and that source is only and will always and forever remain to be Jesus. Just reflect on that for a moment as everyone is getting their candles lit. And as soon as you get yours lit, will you join us in standing? Jesus, thank you so much that you are the light of the world. Thank you that you are the one that brings us joy and joy unending. Father, I pray that today our hearts would be lit ablaze for you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. Thank you that we get to share in the song of Zechariah. We love you, Lord. 
You are a God who fulfills all dream and dreams and hears all prayers. May you have heard the prayers today. We pray that hope would be restored, that joy would be set ablaze, God, that our hearts and lives would be filled with the light of Jesus. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Let's go ahead and blow out these candles, but don't blow out the light of Christ in your life. Amen? Amen. Hey, can we give Jesus a hand? Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And can you also uh, join me in singing this one last song together? Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you next week at our worship weekend. Hey, make sure you take a picture with Santa. Bring the kids. Take a picture. Grab a cookie. And don't forget to grab your ornament. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. And that wraps up today's message. But we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.